0: Uh, for the last uh, month and a half or so, and then f- until Advent, um, it, it's kind of funny. I, this morning we we're talking about the the war on liturgical Christmas that is waging in my home because we're doing fake Thanksgiving this evening, uh, and so Rach thinks that means we can start listening to Amy Grant Christmas music <laughs> tomorrow, um, and so it's really ironic that I just picked up a mug like I always do, and it happened to be a Merry Christmas mug, so I am the chief offender among you all. Uh, but until Advent, we'll be studying the parables, and these are these are tricky stories that Jesus tells, and, and not just stories that he tells, but the way he teaches. A third of his teaching winds up in these stories, these images, these characters that he cooks up um, to, to disrupt us, to disturb us, and Um, To privilege the least and the last and the littlest and the lost and those on the verge of death among us. Uh, He uses these stories. So I'm going to invite Nancy Breslin, my mom, to come up and read this passage from Luke 18 1 through 17.
1: Three parables and so the first one is titled Justice for the Faithful. Jesus was telling them a parable about their need to pray continuously and not to be discouraged. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him asking, give me justice in this case against my adversary. For a while, he refused, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people, but I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there will be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will give them just as quickly. But when the human one comes, will he find faithfulness on earth? Our second one is the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a 10th of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God show mercy to me a sinner I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. And our final one is Jesus blesses children. People were bringing babies to Jesus so that they would bless them. When the disciples saw this, they scolded them. Then Jesus called them to him and said, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them, because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. The word of the Lord.
0: So a few nights ago, we had one of those bedtimes in our house. For those parents of preschool age kids, you know what I mean by one of those bedtimes, you know what I'm talking about. For us, it meant hearing a cr- quiet creeping on the stairs when we were trying to decompress from our day and just watch a little bit of Walking Dead. You know? It's that surreal intersection of TV worlds and real life, where, you know, and it's of course during Halloween wi- Halloween week where a real-life zombie appears on your stairwell, and you thought the coast was clear. Meanwhile, a cinematic zombie appears to Rick Grimes and co, you know? Our walker wasn't looking for flesh, I don't think. I hope not. But she was looking for first a little thimble cup of water, then to use the potty, and then probably to use the potty again. And she needed to make sure the ceiling fan was on, you know, the alarm clock was working, you know, remembering that we hadn't laid out the next day's clothes to spec, you know, we have a lot of protocol in our house. You get to a certain point when all of your well-thought-out and disciplined parenting just kinda goes out the window to sheer pragmatism. What's gonna get this kid in bed? It's like a hostage crisis. We're just trying to get her down from the ledge. The final request that she made was for a short story. And here's the awful thing when you're a pastor, and this is probably repayment for all of the materials she gives me, you know? The awful thing is that when someone asks you for a short story, it's the, the first short story that comes to your head is probably going to be the parable that you've been studying that week. So, after all, Jesus was really fond of short stories, so I'm just trying to follow Jesus. So I settled in to explain to Noah what a judge's job was and why that... Woman with no family was so sad, and what made her want to keep asking the judge questions and questions and questions? You heard this story. This is the worst all time bedtime story to tell someone like this in this situation. How you say it to someone who's persistent, we'll put it that way. It's one that prizes, it's one that makes a hero out of a woman who rags her way into getting what she wants. Surely Jesus cannot be encouraging this kind of behavior. This week's parable of a a certain city with a certain judge and a certain widow is pretty scandalous good news. And it's not just good news, it's great news. That Jesus opens the door for us to be brats. For us to go around like three-year-olds saying, please, 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 please. Even a bad judge or a bad parent is going to give in to this at some point. Maybe not even for close to the right reasons. Surely we should expect a good God, a just judge, a tender father, you know, the father that we studied a couple weeks ago that runs to his son with open arms and engulfs him and interrupts him and clothes him like a son and throws a feast, that kind of father. surely we should expect that father to give us even better attention. You see that while God the father hasn't read parenting books, he's not a helicopter parent or a tiger mom, he's not really concerned with like French parenting methods or like, you know, how to, he he knows what he's expecting when he's expecting, right? We we know that about God. (laughs) He's chosen to compare and contrast himself to an unjust judge or a a bad parent. If even the most unjust, undisciplined, uncaring acts this way, how much more will our Heavenly Father hear us? How much more does he care for us? We take comfort, and this is on the heels of Reformation Day, we take comfort in Martin Luther's prayer to the Lord. He says, although you could rightly and properly be a severe judge over us sinners, now through your mercy implant in our hearts a comforting trust in your fatherly love, and let us experience the sweet and pleasant savior of a childlike certainty that we may joyfully call you father, knowing and loving you and calling on you in trouble. So this is a parable about prayer. This is the essence of prayer. Coming to the Father as children. Being empowered by the Spirit in our spirits to cry, Abba, Father. Desperate. Trusting. Needy. Hoping. A quick side note while I was preparing this. Was it sexist for Jesus to make a nag out of this widow? Like, that, that kind of bugged me. But before we go too long thinking that way, of Jesus basically sitting here and making, like, a chauvinist joke, like, women can't live with them, can't live without them, am I right? You know? I think instead Jesus is making is using a stereotype to subvert a stereotype. You go back a few pages in your Bibles, You find another stigmatized female character, an unwed pregnant teen, and I think you know where this is going, who becomes the very vehicle for God to show up in the person of Jesus. Mary is the bearer of God's Son. In her weakness, smallness, unlikeliness, and leaseness. Mary acts faithfully and responds in prayer. Again, prayer. Read scripture with the eyes of prayer, and you see how often it pops up. Not necessarily with a manual of how to do it, but just that that's what God's people do. And so Mary responds in probably the best prayer that that we could hope through the Spirit to muster My soul magnifies the Lord. When the gospel transforms our imaginations, our ears should perk up when we're reading scripture or when we're out in the world and we encounter an unlikely little guy, the unlikely girl, the forgotten, the outsider. When we read this or we see this in our everyday lives, that's normally the very sight, the very character, the very person where God's best, most surprising and most important work starts but these parables are mostly about prayer. Luke gives us a clue to start. He doesn't want us to miss this. It says, Jesus was telling them a parable about their need to pray continuously and not to be discouraged. Why, why then does he include the story if that's just the point, right? This is a theme that the Apostle Paul picks up in his letter writing. Do not be anxious in anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4. Or rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 5 the need to pray continually and not be discouraged, reliance and stamina, boldness and endurance. This is what it means to long for God. This is something that's put in each and every one of us. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be part of God's kingdom, to pray like this, to think like this, to long out loud. But what does this prayer sound like? For one, I think this prayer sounds like, and and I'm I'm not going to give you a prayer to pray about, I think this, this prayer sounds like impatient discontent. It sounds like that widow. It sounds like unwillingness to take things the way they are. Because when we look around, it looks like sin and death are winning. And to accept that that's true and permanent means not to have faith that despite all the evidence to the contrary, Jesus is Lord. God is just. And then when we look within, when we let the the spirit look at us, examine us, and if we don't ask God to renovate those things that are broken, or when we don't ask God to turn upright the things that are upside down, our priorities, our loves, our lusts, our fears, how we failed, how we continue to fail, the cycles that we get in. If we don't look for that, if we we aren't discontented with that, I'm not sure how much we respect Jesus as Lord there, how much we see God as Father that's merciful and just. St. Teresa of Avila says, You pay God a great compliment by asking great things of him. I think that's external as much as it's internal. Put that way, our persistent prayers become less pestering and more subtle confidence, not in ourselves but in God. Even when you don't think you're confident in God, even sometimes when you doubt that God's listening or God's there, Praying is an act of spirit-sparked, defiant faith, refusing to forget God's faithfulness. Prayer like that changes us. This sort of impatient, discontented prayer jars us from getting used to the way things are. The psalms are strewn with it. If you you do want me to give you a prayer, I'll just give you a Bible and tell you to flip the psalms. These psalms are strewn with widow-like questions, goading God to get going. Show up, wake up, because if you're not here, there's no hope. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? My God, my God, why? Why? Have you forsaken me? Wake up, why do you sleep, O Lord? How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Has God forgotten to be gracious? How long will you be angry forever? How long? Do you see somehow somewhere in yelling these things at God? You somewhere fallen over the line into back trusting in God. The widow teaches us anything, it's that God is not afraid to field our request. You see, when we when we talk like this to God, it it might sometimes sound like we're that kid in the backseat saying, Are we there yet? But implicit in that is we're not there yet. And there is a future that God's in control of, that God's seen, and that God's pulling us into, where injustice is overturned, evil is cured, and death is finally defeated. God is not afraid to field our requests. He's not afraid to hear our cries. How often do, and I, I say this about myself, but how often do I Use anything but God for my sounding board for this sort of thing. Like, I I use my wife, and not normally verbally, normally very passive-aggressively. Or I use my friends, or I use strangers. Like, that's the worst, right? If you're frustrated or hurt, it means you're paying attention. That's what this sort of prayer tells us. The kingdom is, not, is at hand, but it's not here yet. So we pray and we pray and we pray like this widow. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Durham as it is in heaven, in our homes as it is in heaven. We pray that there's more overlap. We pray that the me here on earth is more like that perfected me in heaven as above so below and then Jesus moves into another story a different but related story involving two characters that went up to the temple again when we say temple we're talking about overlap we're talking about that thin place of prayer where God in man, where heaven and earth intersect, where humanity might meet God who's wholly other than us, who's completely holy. That's, that's why all of the hoops to jump through, to remind ourselves that we're not God, but we can encounter God. You get that feeling at this point in the Gospel that Luke is writing, that Luke is totally over letting the reader decide what this is going to be about, right? He says, "Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust." Again, why does he tell this story after that? He sums it up. He's, Luke is such a bad storyteller." So he tells this story. One Jesus tells this story. One person is a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Try for a second to strip away all like the prejudice and preconceptions about Pharisees. We give them such a bad name, like this is Sunday school's fault, right? Recognize for a second that the Pharisee represents the in-crowd, right? These are wholesome religious folks. This is middle America. People for whom the Bible is important, religious life is important, justice is important, the coming kingdom of God and the vindication of God's people is important. And then there was this listless tax collector. He's a schemer. He's a traitor. He's someone who skimmed off the top. The first image that came to mind when I thought about this was... um, mean old sheriff that took the birthday present in Robin Hood, the animated classic. Snatched away that church mouth's last farthing from the poor box. That's a tax collector. Further oppressing the already oppressed poor. This guy's a grade A dirtbag, right? So that's the setup. This is something like Billy Graham versus Bernie Madoff. Right? Like that, that's what we're looking at here. And so Jesus springs a reversal. The Pharisee, who certainly read, if not wrote, the book on justification, how to be right with God, goes home justified in his own eyes, while the unjust tax collector's prayer sets him right with God. We flash back to Mary's song in that last line about the low being brought high and the high being brought low. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. Or maybe from Isaiah 40, Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. Isaiah's and Luke's vision of justice dovetails with Marvin Gaye's that there's no mountain high enough, no valley low enough to keep the Father from getting to us. Those mountains are leveled along with our pride. Those valleys are backfilled, lifting up the humble. Anytime we come as beggars, like the widow, like the tax collector, Asking for justice, we come not only with our successes, but with our failures. Our successes only go as far as to being testimonies of what the Lord has done. That, that's what the tax collector is doing. What the Lord has done, starting with weakness that opens up space for God to step in and bring his kingdom. Where the Pharisee shows up with his resume, the tax collector shows up beating his breast. This is why it's so much easier for the gospel to be heard around the poor. And make no mistake, Matthew says in the Beatitudes, the the poor in spirit, Luke says, blessed are the poor. Because whether in spirit or with materials The fact of the matter is those who are rich or those who try to act like it don't leave much room for God to fill them. As a result, the religious Pharisees' prayer is more like talking and the quote-unquote sinners is more like listening. The Pharisees looking to bring something to the party, the sinner shows up beaten down and open arms. And it's because of Jesus' beaten down, open arms on the cross. It's because Jesus, that truly human one, being raised by God's spirit, that we can be drawn in by God and embraced. That we can be drawn in, even and especially in our weaknesses, in our sin, in our brokenness, not despite it. Hebrews says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That confidence, that praise to God because we know he's there and listening. Confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we come in times of need. And if we're honest, we're always in times of need. Maybe that's where the segue is to the last little block of this text? Where Jesus accepts these kids? He, he doesn't just accept them, he encourages them. He says, don't put any obstacle in their way of coming to me. Let the kids come. Let them come running. Let them come needy. Let them come a little too unreserved, because that's what kids do. Let them come honest and unsuspecting. Let the kids come unscolded. Let them come with nothing to contribute. Let them come with unrealistic expectations like those preschool boasting matches, my dad's better than your dad, right? Because God our Father is everything. Because Jesus is all in all. So we come. In Christ, we have bold and confident access to God through his faithfulness, through Jesus. And finally, Jesus warns, "Warns. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom, welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. I wonder if this is a little twist on, on something Jesus has done elsewhere. Remember when he, he told that little that little stumbling block phrase about how the rich won't enter the kingdom of heaven, but if they do, it'll be as hard as a camel trying to get threaded through an eye of a needle. I wonder if this is kind of like kind of like a, a remix of that, you know, that a rich person's going to be too bulky, too puffed up, too full to be emptied. You might imagine here when Jesus is say, saying that you have to enter the kingdom like a child, that it's something like, unless someone can go through the tunnel of the Chick-fil-A play place. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You gotta fit into this place of wonder, into this place of need, into this place of needing to be long, needing to be embraced. Entering the kingdom of a child, like a child, like a child who never tires of expecting great things from her father. Like a child who delights in being included in her father's work. Wasn't that cool when your dad let you in on what he was doing? Let you help? Like a child, like a sponge. Kids, it's amazing how kids can learn. It's amazing how much they want to learn. It's amazing how much they learn just by being there, like a child, taking it all in. God's kingdom is for his kids. Glory to God. I want to close with a child's prayer um, taught to us by God's son, Jesus. Um, So uh, before we move into confession um, and conversation with God, I invite you guys to, to join me in the Our Father that Jesus taught us when he taught his disciples how to pray. So join me. Our Father, For access to you. We thank you for opening the kingdom wide to us when we act and approach like kids. May we, may we relearn how to be your kids. May we relearn how to ask and ask and ask and bend your ear because your ear is wide open to us and you answer and you hear. May we come to you with nothing but what you'll give us. No boasting, no pride, nothing we've done but everything you've done everything you've given us all your grace Lord in this next couple minutes give us give us the gift of being honest to ourselves give us the gift of silence where we can hear you Father for those folks in the room that that need to just ask and ask and ask and seek you Lord Lord Hear hear our prayers.